Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. I'm Stephen Diamond. In this episode, we chat with fellow autoholic Grace Ma. Grace is an avid Porsche enthusiast and has formed a persona on Instagram known as Lady GT3. We asked Grace how her love of cars and Porsches started and about her many adventures racing on frozen lakes in Finland with a Porsche ice experience. So stay tuned and enjoy. I'd be interested about your background with cars and how you ended up being, you know, such a big Porsche fan and whatnot. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely a slippery slope. That's what I have to say, <laughs> which you guys are probably familiar with. Oh, yes. Um, so I got my driver's license at 16. I grew up in New Jersey, and that's, uh, I think, when you get the learner's permit. And then just, like, ever since I ever got behind the wheel of a car, it's always been a very, how do I describe it? Like, thrilling experience for me, like, driving all sorts of different cars in my life. Um, for me, it's like a way to clear my mind. It's a stress reliever. I feel like I can control my destiny when I'm behind the wheel of a car. And that might be because day to day, our schedules are so packed and so busy with all these other things that I just can't control sometimes. So one thing just kind of led to another. I mean, my first car, funny enough, was like a $3,000 Jeep Grand Cherokee used that I bought from Queens someplace. And like, it had those stereo systems that you still had to pull off, you know, back in the day. <laughs> Um, I remember driving like three months into it, there was like a leak in the roof. I was like, it was just like, my parents didn't want me in like behind the wheel of a brand new car. Right. So that was my first car. And then, um, obviously very different from a Porsche, but just one after another, I got into, I like inherited my parents. They had like a Lexus SUV, started driving that around. And then, um, and then after college, my first real proper car was a BMW 3 Series. So, yes, I was one of those BMW girls, <laughs> as, <laughs> as uh, embarrassing as that is. And then I got into a couple more after that. I got into a 335 two-door car um, after and then a 435 Sport Coupe or whatever. Um, and then the funny thing is, after so, so my last car was a 435 coupe and i wanted to lease i leased it the lease was up i was thinking about getting into an audi actually like an audi rs5 because i wanted a little bit more power i wanted to experience a different platform a different german brand um so i walked into the audi dealership um at uh in manhattan which is on 11th avenue and all the car dealerships are kind of next to each other on 11th avenue and it was like a random Saturday. I was walking and expecting to be able to like test drive a car or walk out with a car or something, put an order down. Um, and I stood there for like 15, 20 minutes and nobody came to help me. And I just got so irritated and annoyed, um, decided to walk like a couple blocks south and there was Manhattan Motor Cars. And they of course sell Porsches um, amongst other exotic brands there. And I walked out with my first Porsche, which was a 718 Cayman S. Um, there might have been some influence on my husband's end because he had a Porsche Cayenne. And again, he, this this guy just loves SUVs. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he had his Cayenne for like 10 years. He's like, this is the best thing ever. It's my favorite car. So maybe he guided me in that direction. But um, the moment I got into the 718 Cayman S, I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. Why was I even driving BMWs? <laughs> But, but before, right? It's just like night and day, the, the feel. Um, I think what Porsche really does well is just 
all the little details. It, it's just such a driver's car, right? Like the placement between the, the distance between the steering wheel where your hands are versus where the clutch is and all that stuff. It's just all perfect, perfect. Um, and then when you start driving other cars, you, you realize the appreciation you have for a Porsche because everything is done so well when they when they build it. The Germans are just really precise. Um, so yeah, that's how my Porsche journey started. But in terms of why cars, um, yeah, those reasons I listed. Just love being behind the wheel. I get such a thrill, the adrenaline, um, especially when you're it behind the wheel like of, of such a well-engineered machine. You just have a huge appreciation for it. You know, it's interesting, you know, that transition from the Cherokee to the BMWs to possibly an Audi and Porsche, especially being in the New York City area, um, you know, that transition and jump from, you know, what is probably a very traditional, you know, you don't have, you know, a fancy car in the city yeah. just here. It's your first car. You have a Cherokee, like you say, with the radio that kind of comes out. <laughs> very safe bet. And then, you know, moving on to the getting a little bit sportier, a little bit sportier, and then going over into the 718. But, you know, like we were saying before, Porsche does such a good job with maintaining the luxury or, or a comfortable daily driver while still not um, sacrificing a lot of the sport aspects of it. And you become spoiled uh, with that once you kind of dive into that. Pool exactly and, and what i will say is um what it the moment you get into a porsche i guess you could 911s obviously their flagship right but i just think in general the moment you get into a porsche sports car it just ruins all other sports cars for you because you're that's like it sets the benchmark right you're comparing how all these other cars drive against it and you're just like it doesn't drive the same way i mean they each have their strong suits right but in terms of overall package i think porsche delivers it and that's why the brand is to me, so amazing, and that's what keeps me coming back to it over and over again. Well, it's interesting to me, you came out of the 435 um, BMW, which has, you know, ostensibly a more interesting motor than the four-cylinder Cayman that you got into, right? But but yeah. so you so vehemently felt that the Cayman was a was a, a world world apart from the BMW. I think that's that's a pretty neat transition. And, I, you know, I think a lot of the purists have, have spoken poorly about the four-cylinder Porsches. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure to drive any. You know, I know Stephen and Aaron have had some some time in, in their dad's 718. But it's neat to hear that that, that uh, sort of characteristic still rings true. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I don't know what is with what it is with BMW, right? The brand's obviously scaled quite a bit. Um, it's got a lot of volume. They're pushing out a lot of three and four series, right? So I don't know if quality has gone downhill over time with the cars versus what they were in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, but with Porsche, I don't feel that quality degrade at all. But going back, um, so you stepped from the 718. That was your first introduction yeah. to Porsche. And then from there... Uh, was it uh, Targa? Yeah, for, from there, um, no, actually, we bought the uh, the 991.2 GT3. So, bought the Cayman S in 2016 17. The GT3 came in 2018, and then bought the Targa in 2020. So, what happened was uh, the, the 718 Cayman S was a lease, lease was coming up. 
Mm -hmm. I think I had like 10 months left on it, 11 months left. And I randomly walked into the dealer one day and this was right before COVID. So my timing could not have worked out any better. Cause as you know, where car prices went post COVID, it's like astronomical right now. Right. So I took delivery of the Targa February 14th, uh, 2020 on Valentine's day, random funny, but obviously all the negotiations happened at the end of January when COVID started forming. Um, I had no intentions of, picking that car up that day. What happened was I, I walked into the dealership. I clearly like to hang out at dealerships too much, which is not a good thing. <laughs> um, walked into the dealership and um, the car was on display. I had seen it there a couple of times prior. Um, it was actually one that was optioned very highly. It had like $50,000, $60,000 in options because it was one of their, their, their demo cars that they brought to the auto show, which is kicking off next week, by the way, and I will be there. Um, first time it's back in like three years, which is exciting. Um, but, um, so I've always had a keen eye for a Targa. I test drove one in 2017, actually down in Pennsylvania at another dealership. And I was like, God, this is a beautiful car. Um, for what it is semi convertible, you can drive it on a track if you will. And that's what I have done as crazy as it sounds. Um, but I could take it to a nice dinner. I could take it to the beach cause it's semi convertible. Um, so I think this was my third or fourth time seeing this card on this on display at Manhattan motor cars. And one of the sales guys there, they're very good at their jobs, clearly. They just threw me the key. They threw me the key. I unlocked the door and I just started sitting in it. And then their social media guy was there who I'm friends with. And he started like taking random videos and pictures and made like a 15 second clip of me like in the car. And he sent it to me and I was like, I look pretty good in this car. And then like, <laughs> before you know it, I'm sitting there talking numbers with them. <laughs> and what, what happened was they agreed to buy out my remaining 11 month lease on the 718 Cayman S, which was like pretty substantial because I was paying like $1,100 a month uh, lease on that vehicle. So I was like, okay, that's about like $12,000. You could take that off my hands. And then I got into um, the Targa and I got a good deal on it because it was pre-COVID and they still had tons of inventory. And obviously that car had been sitting on the on the lot for some time. So I'm, I'm happy with it. And now it's um, tuned it's modified, um, have done a lot of upgrades to it and it just doesn't make sense to sell it because it's, it's, it's amazing. I, my only experience with the, it, this is a 992 or a 991.2? It's a dot, it's a 1.2. 1 1.2. 1 I've, my only experience with the 991 is with a 991.1 GTS Targa. And okay. I sit in that that car, I just drove one recently here in Houston. The the owner of the company that I work for has it, and uh, I think that's just the perfect Porsche because, like you say, it's it's you know sort of the car you could use to go to the beach, but it's totally racy enough. And I could imagine yours with the tune must be pretty impressively fast. Yeah, um, the people who have gotten behind the wheel of it at the racetrack, they're like, this thing can move, and I I added like a hundred horsepower, so I haven't dynoed it, but I'm probably putting out 550. Um, 450 is what the GTS did out of the 1.2. But the 1.1, you can even argue that that one's uh, more attractive because that's, I think, the last naturally aspirated one, right? Because they went Correct. to the turbo. So that's a, a little slightly different drive experience. Yeah, yeah. He's got the, the GTS, the last of the naturally aspirated with the stick. And it is a, it's a heck of an engine. I haven't driven the turbo uh, engines. I'm, I'm sure they don't lose much. You know, I, I, all the reviews I've seen say that they're pretty much right on point. And it's not, you know, sort of the 
turbo experience in the sense of big lag or anything of that respect, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, but it's it's a really fun car, and I do track it. Um, it is heavier um, than other 911. I think it's the heaviest 911 that they make because of the, the shield window and then the roll bar. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because, again, on a sunny day, like, do I want to drive a GT car with a coupe with a coupe top, or do I want to drive the convertible? It's it's the convertible. Yeah, no, it's the best of both wor- worlds, and I'm, I was so happy when Porsche kind of brought back that retro style of the Targa because that was the Targa that I grew up loving, and you know, even though I do like the panoramic roof Targas still, that is kind of what the Targa truly should be. Yeah. And so both were so the GT3. And then the 718, they were both Miami blue, correct? Or was the 718 a different color? The seven, So the 718 Cayman S was a white, standard white. It was white. Okay, that's right. Yeah, the, the 718 Spider, that's Miami blue. And the and the 991.2 GT3 is Miami blue. Okay, right. And then the Targa is, um, I forget which red it is. It's a Carmine red. Carmine red, okay. Yeah, so it's the a slightly darker red. I think the Guards red is the brighter red. Right, yeah. Uh, you've also kind of dived deeper into the Porsche, you know, experience, and you've done kind of some of the company corporate uh, events that they offer to yeah. owners and things like that. Which ones have you done, and what's been your experience with that? Yeah. So um, now that I've started tracking more, I definitely have a new appreciation for these. But um, so they do a couple of different marketing events. One is um, the ones where the dealers invite you out for half day sessions at random tracks in your region. So being in the New York area, I, I've been I've been up to Monticello Motor Club with some dealers. I've been to Pocono Raceway um, with other dealers. And then they also do it at NJMP down in South Jersey. So they're just half day. I would call them sampler events where they get you into a couple different cars, um, usually the sports cars. But I've been in a Macan once around the track. That was an interesting experience. Not my favorite. <laughs> um, but uh, it's cool. You get to kind of taste the different cars and, and how it drives and, and the feel. And obviously, most of this is targeted to people who have never been on a track with a car. So they get wowed and it makes them want to buy the brand, right? Um, but from there, I've also done some off-roading events with a different group called Accelerating Change, which is like a, a motorsports organization that's trying to promote motorsports with, with women, which is really cool. So like we, they did a full day event out in Lime Rock where we were off-roading the Cayennes. We were tracking a bunch of different cars, um, the 992 Carreras, and then we, we were autocrossing the 718 um, Spider. I think they had out there or Boxster GTS. I forget which one, but um, just really fun. And I think one of the coolest things about this whole Porsche brand is the people you meet. It really is in a class of its own. Because I've spoke spoken to other owners who've had Ferraris in the past and then they've come over to the Porsche side and it's just night and day, the way to describe the the coffee meetups that there are, the cars and coffee. Um, Porsche owners just, you wave to each other when you're driving, right? Like you, you can't say the same about a Lamborghini owner or a Ferrari owner. It's just different. We just, we are all united by this bond of this love for this brand and these cars. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, and I've also gone abroad as well. Um, I've been to Germany a few times. I've been to Stuttgart to the museum. Um, and I think the coolest experience I've done with Porsche is going up to the Arctic Circle. 
Um, that's their winter ice driving experience. And I've done that three times now, um, three different winters over. I think we've, I've gone up there three times in the last four or five years. And it's really, really cool. I mean, the fact that you get to use their corporate cars and um, thrash on them and crash them into snowbanks while you're drifting. <laughs> and then you get pulled out when you get stuck by a cayenne that's there to rescue you. Like it, there's just, it's just, you're constantly smiling, right? Um, another cool byproduct of those experiences, just the networking, which I never expected going into that, but, um, the, the class of people that were going up there is just incredible. I've met like the former Porsche CEO who I've become really good friends with, and he's now the interim CEO at McLaren. So when I was over in London, got a tour of the McLaren technology center, which was freaking awesome seeing how they build their cars. I didn't realize how bespoke of a brand and their whole manufacturing process was we could talk about that next um but yeah so porsche ice experience they run it up in lapland which is the arctic circle of finland and then they also run one in um in canada like an hour and a half outside of montreal but the cars the fleet in canada is a little bit different i think um like the main flagship one is the one in finland because this past february when i was up there i was um the cars that we so i was doing ice force pro which is like the third level you have to graduate into these different levels um so the third level we had the gt4 we had the 992 gt3 and then we had the turbo s the 992 turbo s so the cars get more powerful and then they're on studded tires so the studs get longer so it makes it more technical i guess and what's the difference between the different levels? You know, what do they have you do in level one that you wouldn't be doing in level three and, and vice versa? Yeah, so level one um, is a little bit more car control clinic, I guess, right? Getting used to like different techniques. So they teach you um, like think about like skid pad, right? There's like different activities, right? Figure eights. They're teaching you how to like the basics of drifting. And you're usually in like base level cars like a Carrera S or something um and yeah they're, they're they're less powerful cars so the higher you go the more powerful the cars get because they expect you to be able to handle more um and then the studded the studs on the tires get longer so i guess it allows you to drift in a different technique also um by this level level three we're doing left foot braking so it's different than level one which they probably wouldn't teach that right um but I really noticed the difference this time around, how, how much better I could drift, just being able to brake and go straight to throttle and vice versa, and just have that continuous momentum. Yeah, and maintain the balance uh, while you're in the corners there. Absolutely. It sounds like a great experience to get to, you know, be learning these principles of, of driving on, on, you know, slippery conditions, but also in such an epic setting, right? I mean, what a, what a neat place to go visit, regardless of uh, if you're driving Porsches or not, but that's sort of icing on the cake, in my opinion. Yeah, no, totally. It's, um, it's so white up there. I don't even know how to describe it. So where they hold the Porsche thing, it's like an hour from Santa Claus Village in Rovanami. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But yeah, there's like a, a fake North Pole, Pole up there, I guess, if you want to call it. Um, you have a chance to catch the Northern Lights. And um, 
it's it's cool. It's like a it's a lake. So they build out these tracks. And oh, another thing about um, you were asking about the difference in the levels, right? So as you progress in levels, the length of the tracks that you're tracking on gets longer. So they start connecting different tracks. Mm. And um, a cool thing about the tracks is the guy that, that they have designed the tracks. He's actually one of the lead designers who designs all the F1 tracks. So it's pretty cool because so. Also, because I've gotten to this third level, you're meeting a lot of people who have done this quite some time already, right? So on this trip, I met a couple from Barcelona who was up there for three weeks before they got to this Porsche one. And I was like, what have you been doing up here for three weeks? So they did the Audi pro snow program, they did the BMW snow program, and they did the McLaren snow program. And the feedback was Porsche does the best one, just in terms of the, the tracks, and whether the vehicles are built for the snow or not, right? Audi doesn't spend as much money making the program as prestigious as it is. Like the Porsche one, the moment you get off the plane, everything is taken care of for you from the transport to the airport, to the hotel, them taking your luggage. Um, it's just super seamless. They include all the meals. All you have to worry about is getting yourself there, right? And then the rest is taken care of. The McLaren one is a little bit more intimate um, and you're only drifting the McLaren GT, which is the, their sedan, I guess, if you want to call it that, or the one that fits the golf clubs, whatever car that is. I don't know. The yeah, it's their golf cruiser, clubs. their GT cruiser, kind of, you know, yeah. luxury. I mean, it's such a bespoke brand, so I don't think they can afford trashing a, a couple 765 LTs in the snow. Huh. <laughs> um, but the, the feedback was those cars are just not built for snow. Every time it crashed, like parts would be breaking off and stuff. So, like, I guess the Porsches are more durable in the snow. Yeah, well, like they definitely are. they're more durable in general, right? That's sort of like the ethos of, of Porsche. You think back to the, the Volkswagen Beetle. Not that anybody will like that comparison so much nowadays, but I see it as really clear. You know, that's definitely the root of the Porsche. Or go back further, tractors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I, I like actually sat on a Porsche tractor before, which is crazy crazy <laughs> Where did you have the opportunity to do that i've only seen the one at the at the portion museum in stuttgart but i haven't uh, i haven't sat on one so um one of the folks that we know in germany he has he owns a tractor so private wow. collector um so i was able to sit on his tractor and apparently like every year they have this like tractor rally between like Germany and Austria. And like, all you see are these Porsche tractors lined up on the roadway, the way we have like regular car rallies. They just drive their tractors around on the road. And it's like a, a cruise, a tractor cruise. And I'm like, this is so wild. You would never see this in the US. It's fantastic. Instead of a coffee run, it's a corn run or something, you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> so cool. Pretty much the most German or Austrian thing you could imagine. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but um, going back to uh, the Arctic experience, I just wanted to highlight one piece around um, the, the, like the different cars this time around. I, I really felt the difference in the cars. I think it's just the variety we got this time. Um, I would say the GT3 was my favorite on snow and ice. Um, rear wheel drive, naturally aspirated, that 992, oh my God, it just, it, it feels so good. It sounds so good for what it is, the double wishbone suspension. Um, the Turbo S, so much power, right? That thing, zero to 60 in like two point whatever seconds, the acceleration is crazy. But because it was all wheel drive on snow and ice, um, it just was too controlled for me. It was a little bit boring on the track. The GT4 was a lot of fun on snow and ice, but because it's mid-engine and rear wheel, 
it just it required a lot of steering input so it's a ton of work like you're constantly counter steering um so i think the gt3 just slotted nicely in terms of that spectrum of of the right amount of input that a driver needs to do to be able to drift it perfectly if that makes sense yeah no with the rear engine it's easy to in a way to just carry that weight in the drift as long as you're able to kind of hold it i mean once you lose it it kind of gets away from you but uh, I've had experience driving, um, not a Cayman, but you know our dad's 718 when he had it on track. Mm -hmm. Never about this and versus you know the 996, and I, I understand it's more like a gyroscope, the 718 or the mid-engine Caymans, where you're kind of dealing with a lot of the front end push, yep. and the rear end, and it's a, a lot more to manage than the smoothness of having that weight kind of behind you. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're definitely building a reputation for these types of experiences across the world. Um, oh, yeah. Whether it's just travel, you know, taking the cars, driving them somewhere interesting on, on nice roads or being able to really push the cars to show off what they're capable of. Yeah, this uh, it's a huge money operation for, for them. It's great marketing. It is. Uh, they're not cheap, especially so they have the Porsche ice experience is one class of things. Then they have the Porsche travel experience, Stephen, which is I think what you're referring to, right? They go to Iceland, Namibia, Africa, like France, the Swiss Alps, wherever you could think of, they run these travel experiences. And then they have a third sector, which is their Porsche track experience. So those, those are dry tracks. Um, and it's, um, it's pretty cool. You get to meet a lot of different people and it's, it's a good way to not have to plan, I guess you can say that, because all the planning's done for you. No, absolutely. Uh, Aaron and I have had the pleasure of experiencing the Porsche track experience. Oh, that's right. Um, I've done it twice, uh, the RS class, uh, and then we're actually going to go in May, and we're going to do the RSR class, so the three-day uh, track experience. It's called the Masters. The Masters, yeah, yeah. Um, down at uh, Barber Motorsports uh, outside of Birmingham, which is a lovely track. And, you know, I can speak to exactly what you're saying, where they just handle everything from the transportation. Uh, you know, they feed you, they keep you hydrated, they teach you everything you need to know. You feel safe the entire time. Very controlled settings. Um, and you just come away, like you said, with a smile on your face, having a good time and loving the brand more and more. Um, you know, Obviously, from your experience of buying your first Porsche, it sold itself to you. you know, yeah. Even though they had such great salesmen at Manhattan Motor Cars, they didn't really need to do much besides just throw you the keys for the, the brand to take over and yeah. you, know, you on the cars. But everything else that Porsche does around the brand really solidifies what it is to be a Porsche owner, and it makes you feel more and more included and happier about the brand and being a part of it, part of that community. Yeah, it's funny you say, um, first of all, I'm really jealous you guys are going in May. I might tag along. <laughs> I got to figure out how. Come down, yeah. Because um, I've, I've wanted to try Barber Motor Park or Motorsports Park a couple of times. Yep. I just haven't had a chance to get down there. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the brand sells itself because I actually joined an NYU master's class the other day um, through a contact. I, so I met like the Porsche area marketing manager for the East Coast. So she works for Porsche Corporate North America. And she was working with um, an NYU marketing class. And what the students were trying to solve for is how to get younger people into Porsche. Because I think that is a preconceived notion, right? That the, your standard Porsche driver is like the 55 to 65 year old male who wears New Balance sneakers. <laughs> 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 um, 
know if Jack knows New Balance stickers, but... <laughs> I'm out of the New Balance, Stephen. I'm not old enough for that. <laughs> I can say our dad does wear New Balance from time to time, but mostly when he's doing housework. And, yeah, and Grace, okay. you're kind of describing our father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope it's the trendy new balance, not the white and blue one. (laughs) I think Jay's got the white and blues, if I had to guess. He does have the classic old white, you know, with the blue around the logo. He definitely has this. I heard those are really comfortable. I've never tried them on, but I've heard they're really comfortable. There's a reason why they've stayed around for this long. (laughs) I'm getting a kick of how we're talking about Porsches on this podcast, and you guys are talking about comfortable. And, Stephen, you mentioned how the experience made you feel very safe. These are interesting (laughs) choice word word choices that you guys have talking about the Porsche brand. But he's accurate. He's accurate about the safe part because the whole time, like, even if you know know nothing about driving, you feel like you feel safe because the instructors are so well-trained and they know exactly what they're doing and they're good at communicating it, which, which makes a difference. I'm, I'm a huge fan of this, you know, as I've been saying to my friends a lot recently, um, there there are some people who are, who are kind of like, uh, wanting to see car culture go in one way or the other. And I'm really happy to hear about things like this because I think, Hey, we're at the dawn of where this could all end for us. Right. And so I want to do whatever we can to bring different people in. So if they make, beginners feel feel good and comfortable in an environment like that, I think that's awesome. Because then they'll come back and more people will be into it. No, totally. And I think this also ties to the point I was trying to make about um, me participating in this marketing class and providing my point of view, right? What they were trying to solve for is how to get more younger buyers into Porsches. And these could be first-time buyers, Ryan, to the point that you're making, right? Like, how do we keep this around? And I think the thing with Porsche is you don't realize how amazing it is until you get into the car, like we were just saying, right? This brand speaks for itself the moment you step into the car and start driving it. And that's the biggest challenge, I think, for Porsche. How do you get people into these cars who don't know much about the brand or who don't know much about the cars? And then we were talking about like the Teslas, right? Teslas have been so successful at bringing this young group of millennial buyers into their whole ecosystem. And I think it really helps that like Elon is like a god in a sense to some of these buyers, right? You saw the other day he bought 9% stake in Twitter and the freaking stock price like rockets. It's just the type, he's a marketing genius, I think. And when I think about Porsche, right, when, when the students were asking me, like, I don't think Porsche has that. I mean, I don't think that's their intention to have an Elon, but they don't have like a single person, an idol or an icon that you would rally around. They have well, their Pruniger now, right? You know, <laughs> Andres Pruniger, he's a pretty cool dude, but I guess he's no Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've seen some well, videos of him. Have, I, I mean, I'd love to meet him one day, but yeah, he's no Elon. <laughs> <laughs> hey, also you know, the comparison of, of uh, Tesla is a fairly new brand in comparison to Porsche, which has been around since the 40s, at least, yeah. um, in terms of cars. So you have the generations of people who are growing up seeing 356s, 914s, 911s, and now the generation that grows up seeing Teslas are a lot younger. Yeah. And they're a lot more techy, so they kind of respond to the, the type of marketing that Elon does. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think Stephen mentioned this earlier, right? Like, or Ryan, when you buy these electric vehicles, a lot of times you're buying the technology, you're buying the c- c- computer, you're not buying the car. Because a lot of, I mean, I've driven some Teslas and the quality is crap. Like, is it, would I rather buy like a regular, I don't know, 
auto manufactured car like a Ford or a Tesla, I think Ford might have better quality. I, I don't know, just in terms of finishes. So you're right. It, it, it's marketing to a different segment, marketing a different asset, I guess, if you will. I will say going back to the um, the marketing and, and talking about how do we get young people into Porsches. I mean, obviously the, the large price increases in Porsches uh, doesn't help. Yeah you know, just the skyrocketing bubble, uh, the Porsche bubble, um, definitely has a, at least a barrier of entry for at least young people for sure to get in. But I think the Macan, you know, if convinced, you know, parents can be convinced, hey, get me a Macan. It's a nice, safe car. Uh, it's new, it's reliable. Even if it's a base Macan, I've driven a base Macan and I was so impressed by it. Even if it's, you know, the PDK and that is still lightning fast still fun acceleration and you experience that maybe your the parent experiences that and then maybe they get hooked on porsche and then that could be a, a way into deeper into the brand into other models yeah um and you bring up a really good point because that the suvs are their best sellers that's what that's what it comes down to it's the macan oh. first then the cayenne um i think the Taycan came in third this past year in terms of volume of units that they've moved right so um, the SUVs are functional. And like you said, compared to other SUVs out there on the market, the Porsche SUVs just drive a little bit better. Um, whether it's the clutch or whether it's just the whole experience when you're getting into it, it, it feels different. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the SUVs feel so much, uh, tighter and, and better put together than a lot of SUVs, but it's also very focused on the sport aspect of the SUV. Yeah. Kind of especially with that pdk right i mean for for someone who's not necessarily a car person to get in and try that transmission i don't know that that might make them curious about transmissions right it's that good that it would make them say oh wow like shifting gears this is pretty cool um you know i i i was really impressed with that with the base macan but the, the power i thought might have been a little bit lacking for a porsche Absolutely. I, I felt I had the power of a RAV4. That was my first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I had one as a loaner car once and I was like, oh, my God, this thing has no power. And I was like full throttle trying to go. <laughs> well, if you look at the engine bay with that, you know, that uh, the four cylinder in there, it's uh, pretty open. It looks <laughs> like a little like crock pot, of, like inside a big engine bay. In oh, way. my God, that's such a funny analogy. I'm going to have to lift the hood next time and check it out. Yeah, hopefully, you know, we've said this on the podcast uh, before in the past, you know, the 986 box, there is still a great cheap alternative and entryway into the Porsche brand. Um, you know, Ryan's been looking at some 986s himself. Oh, nice. Um, recently. And uh, yeah, I have some plans to purchase one, hopefully for this summer, you know, but the, the problem is the the prices are just skyrocketing. So I, I mean, I can justify quite a bit because it is a pretty amazing car. But now it seems like you might have to pay $20,000 for like a base early 986. And I think what a what a shame it was, I didn't pick them up when they were like five to 7000, you know? Wow. Yeah, it's that shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> <laughs> There was a there was an interesting point. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever listened to Spike's car radio, um, but Spike Ferriston, who's a big Porsche guy, he was talking um, uh, about. I don't know if you've seen uh, Omega just did this co a collaboration with Swatch. Right? Oh yeah. 
and uh, it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool thing and you know it takes like a lot of the value of a brand like Omega and brings it down to more pedestrian price levels right and so he said hey Porsche how do we do something like this <laughs> Porsche right you know how do we how do we pair up with a with a Kia or something and then he said well maybe not Kia but <laughs> you know I don't know and I found that to be a pretty interesting concept you know talking about getting young people into the brand what what could they do maybe it's something with Volkswagen you know That's while they're still involved together yeah. yeah how many times you know you and our buddy Ross you know case in point but a lot of people who are into cars Volkswagen having a Jetta having a Golf having a GTI is a entryway into some sort of interesting or or kind of sporty car something that you can do a lot to it to make it better or more fun to drive um and it's you know probably want to be porsche but uh but it's still kind of in that same vein um so maybe if porsche did a collaboration uh where they focused on some sort of engineering of a of a volkswagen kind of had that on their name um well, they've done it before like rs2 and you know 914 right yeah although people still are you know bad talking 914s and <laughs> gotten um, some appreciation maybe in the last few years but uh still not quite the it's like the dino of the uh of you know the ferrari porsche kind of family <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, a really interesting uh thought that spike has brought up i mean i think there's so many marketing implications for it right especially with these brands trying to maintain their prestige um i'd be curious to see if they could actually carry that out and but i think what would happen ultimately is buyers would ruin that like the the well intention of it right like you saw the lines that formed at these swatch stores it was just insane and then people start buying them and they start selling them on eBay for like 60 times more than what it's actually worth, right? And that's, it just takes the fun away. Cause some people, they wanna get into it because that's what they can afford. I think Aaron, I was talking to you about this um, at tennis, right? Um, about how you were trying to buy- Yeah, I think we were mentioning, we were talking about that. A specific watch and it just takes out what it's meant for, if, if, you, if it makes sense. Cause people buy them, they'll mark them up and then they'll sell them and then they become unattainable cause they're all sold out. Right, these limited dishes. Really, what was really interesting about the, they're not limited. That's what's interesting about the Omega uh, Swatch collaboration was they weren't limited, but st- people were still going out and buying them, like waiting at the door and then trying to sell them up, like upsell them. And even Swatch and Omega were saying, we're, we're coming out with more of these. So you can just wait until we come out with more and buy it at retail. <laughs> Yeah, Grayson and I were we were talking about that. Uh, I think that was last week. Yeah, it would be a big shift for Porsche. You know, now they are a luxury brand in the way that they weren't historically. So, like for them to put out something like a 924 or a 914, I think you know folks like us would really appreciate that. It would be an amazing thing. But I wonder if they can, if the luxury brand folks behind the marketing department would allow them to do such a such a car, right? I, I don't know. Would that cheapen the brand so to speak i think they make a model that's going to be below a boxster or cayman that would be kind of interesting well the one thing i can see them doing and you know all these other additions to the porsche fleet have always been in some way to save the 911 
you know, the 928s, the 944s, even the Cayenne, even the Macan. The 928 was to kill the 911, by the way. (laughs) Maybe initially, but uh, yeah, it was the new luxury, whatever, replaced the 911. Um, But you get my point. And I I think Porsche would have to be in a position where, and I don't know if they ever will, um, because they can keep doing more like special editions of their cars and owners will keep buying them up. But they would have to be in a position where maybe they've consumed the they've cannibalized a lot of the market and need to tap into a new market. And the way I can see that going for them, at least, is electric. And I could see them absolutely doing a full electric Cayman as an entry level car to compete with the Model 3. Yeah, and I think um, that is the intention. That is the plan. I think they announced starting 2025, the entire 718 uh, platform is going electric. Right, so. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I think the the Boxster and the Boxster um, and the Cayman. I think it's one of the most underrated sports cars out there because it's it's often seen as I don't know. They used to call it the poor man's Porsche or whatever, or it's seen as the entry level Porsche. But when you drive it, it doesn't feel that way whatsoever. No, and our dad's base seven eighteen Boxster was fantastic. I loved it driving that thing. It was so fun. It wasn't intimidating in any way, um, but it was still a joy to drive yeah it, it's just so underrated i think a person who can easily afford that will often buy like a three series or an m3 or something but i think that's the wrong car to get into personally <laughs> um clearly i'm porsche biased and then we've been talking a lot about modern porsches and that's only been your experience with the brand i'm sure you get asked this a lot but any consideration about older porsches oh yeah i mean especially seeing some of our friends like dewey who we all know in common um I love the air-cooled Porsches, so I I don't own one, but I've, I've been in them. Um, I'm not driven it. I've sat passenger, and man, even sitting passenger in an air-cooled car, I'm like, holy shit, it's, it's night and day. It's funny because I think the Porsches, the new modern Porsches, they keep getting bigger and bigger. And I was joking around, like, sometimes I look at the rear of the 992s, and I think I'm looking at a Panamera. And it's not, <laughs> but it's getting to, like, such a big size. I mean, obviously, the power is moving along with that ratio. It's it's just not the same. And I see these old air-cooled ones, and I'm like, oh, my God, they're so sexy, right? They, they're just beautiful cars. The lines haven't really changed. And I think those ratios, the size ratios back then, were a lot better. They were a lot more beautiful. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is the maintenance of, of an air-cooled one, right? The prices, obviously, are a lot higher for what they were originally offered at, inflation, et cetera. But I worry about rust, and I worry about being able to maintain it properly, and that's probably what keeps me away from uh, from that. And maybe some of the creature comforts, but I think I'm at a point where I can deal with one car that has less creature comforts because the other ones have them. <laughs> I'd love one one day. I'd love a, a 993 or a 964. I think they're just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And, and like, the drive between an air-cooled car and a water-cooled car, very different as well, the, the experience. So... Maybe one day when I move out of the city, and uh, I think that's one reason we stay in the city, so I don't buy more cars. <laughs> <laughs> What's your garage situation? Do you have do you have space where you live, or or have you rented or purchased garage space exclusively for these cars? Yeah, it's it's complicated. So luckily, <laughs> um, living in Manhattan, we have a little driveway here, and we can store two cars. So we keep one of the SUVs and one of the sports cars here. Um, right now, we're using the 
parents' house and their garage <laughs> as our secondary storage space. But my dream would to be would be to have my own barn. Like, and then I got really, really aspirational. I was like, why don't I just buy an old hangar space? That'd be really cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd love to have a barn of some sort where I could put like 20 cars in there. And you know what? Most guys have that as their like bachelor pad hangout. I would love it for, to be a girl's hangout spot for me. I mean, I'd invite my friends over. I'd also be okay sleeping there next to the cars. I have no problem with that. <laughs> I joked to Steven, I actually, one of the big things for me, I was living in Mexico for a few years and I just moved back to Rhode Island. And uh, the big thing for me was that I could get back into buying old cars. I had places to keep them and whatnot. And so I got this big barn to keep cars in. And I said to him, you know, when you come and visit, you could just stay in the barn with the cars. <laughs> I, yeah, there's a couch there. There's a couch. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Dude, I have to check this uh, this barn of yours out. You're like carrying out my dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the barn the barn is, you know, I would say it's not the ideal barn. You know, the floors are a little dirty. Uh, I think <laughs> I need to do a whole floor redo. But uh it's 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 a lot of fun and you know we have a lift in there so we we have fun you know working on the cars and whatnot yeah but if you if you road trip up to uh Rhode island during the summer you definitely have to stop by that's really cool um yeah i'd say i'm i'm not your typical girl right i see i get excited when i see pictures of like a car in somebody's living room i don't know why or like uh specifically a porsche but like seeing like a car parked next to like a sofa or a couch or a bed i'm like this is so cool how do i get that set up yeah, I mean, Grace, living in New York like me, uh, I don't know if you see often when people convert their garages into more rooms and it breaks my heart so much. A, a functional garage goes to waste. Um, but one of my dreams would always be having like uh, one of these carriage houses here in New York where you have the big single garage and, you know, you live above it. Um, that would be an opportunity for sure to, you know, be able to live or sleep next to your car all those old buildings they were literally the horse garages yeah. I mean, which is pretty neat right and of course it would be awesome Stephen, to have that for your cars what a what a way to live in new york yeah that or like you need an old firehouse oh or... my god i was just gonna say that i started <laughs> looking at firehouses don't even ask uh, that's like a perfect place to store cars as well hey you can even slide down a pole to your car you know <laughs> <laughs> how cool would that be it's crazy. I think for most people, they who don't understand cars or don't have a enthusiast enthusiastic view on cars, they probably think we're crazy, right? <laughs> but for some people, cars define where they live. Believe it or not. <laughs> well, and the way I like to explain it to people who aren't, you know, maybe the biggest car fans is is like what you were talking about. You get excited seeing cars in a room. Why? Because it's art, right? And for me, it's one of like my favorite forms of art because you can interact with it. And so I think like you know everybody can get their head around that a little bit um but i guess the the uh the compromises they'd be willing to make to deal with it <laughs> vary right yeah no that's, that's a great way to put it it is functional art um would i'd rather buy a porsche or a painting that's hanging on my wall for two hundred thousand dollars i think i'd go with the porsche <laughs> every day of the week yeah, yeah. <laughs> well grace when you hopefully you stay in new york and you find a carriage house or a firehouse and once you start that, you know, the Lady GT3 account will blow up even more and you can be the model for Porsche and get all these young people into the brand. Uh, I so hope we're, so. we're hoping for that and we're rooting for you. I hope so, because they could they could use that audience. Um, it, it's a great brand. The people in it are great. 
Um, all the employees I've met through the brand are great. I just have nothing but positive things to say about it. No, absolutely. And, you know, one thing you mentioned earlier that I think rounds it out when you said it's really about the people and not the cars is that the Connecticut Valley region of the Porsche Club has that as their slogan. It's the people, not the cars. And that really resonates true whether or not it's just the Connecticut region. It resonates throughout the U.S., throughout the world. Um, it's a great community and a great culture. Um, and so cool to hear your experiences, uh, even just beyond Porsche ownership with the brand and share that with us here. Thank you. No, I can definitely attest to uh, the relationships I formed worldwide. I've got friends in Portugal, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Germany, like you name it, all these different countries. And what are we all united by? The common love for the brand Porsche. It's it's incredible. Thanks for coming to talk with us, Grace. It was really nice to meet you. Appreciate all the stories you told us and uh, hope to hope to meet you in person one day. Likewise, I will be at your barn in no time. <laughs> awesome. Can't wait. Thanks, Grace. Thank Bye. you, guys. I really talk enjoyed speaking with you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Autoholics Anonymous by The Autoholic. Tune into future episodes and follow our adventures at www.the-autoholic.com or on Instagram at the.autoholic and Twitter at theautoholic, straight through. Stay safe, but don't forget to drive fast and take chances. Thanks. Music by Stephen Diamond.